0: Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hey,
1: everyone. Welcome to another episode of Human Factors Cast. This is episode 202. We're recording this live on April 15th, 2021. Uh, I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined by my good friend and yours, Mr. Blake Arnsdorf.
2: Oh, it's good to be here, Nick. How's everything going, man?
1: Everything's going just great. Um, hey, I got some programming notes and uh, some community updates here before we get into the actual show tonight. I want to go over it. Um, Elise and I have been doing some healthcare symposium coverage this week. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast feed, you will have noticed that there's an extra episode in your. Um, podcatcher this week we did a preview of what we were hoping to attend this week we'll be back later this week to do a uh, kind of recap of the event Um, tomorrow which is Friday for anyone who's listening now and Friday for anyone who's listening later we've done it so it might already be in your feed I don't know Uh, but um, you know it already may be out there (laughs) speaking of conferences there's one more conference coming up here that I do want to make sure everyone's aware of there's uh, the chartered Institute of uh, ergonomics and human factors their conference is next week. It's going to be from April. Uh, b- 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 what is it? 6th, 19th through the 21st. It's three days. Um, if, if anyone who's listening to the show is going to either, please send us a voicemail about your experience. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can go to our website, humanfactorscast.media. click on the microphone at the bottom right of the page, uh, and we'll play it on the show. So it'll be, it'll be fun. Uh, if anyone's listening and it has anyone has gone to either of these events, please you know, leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Blake, you've been working on something. You've been cooking something up.
2: Yeah. So in the background of recording the podcast, we've been cooking up, taking out the Reddit questions and basically putting them up as Q&A sections of each Reddit question we answer from the week on our YouTube channel. So again, this is not really to replace being able to listen to the podcast or see us live. It's just more of a kind of streamlined way to be able to get some of the advice that we're putting out there. Um, in a really easy and digestible format through YouTube, and this was a, a nice kind of uh, suggestion from one of our listeners prior. So it's it's a cool way for us to kind of both, you know, enjoy doing the podcast, have the longer format, but also provide you know quick pieces of content that people can go through.
1: Yeah, a hot yeah. listener request. We got we got multiple requests for that, so it'll be it'll be good to kind of make good on that progress pro- promise. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> all right, we know why you're here. Let's Absolutely. get into it. Human factors news. Yes, this is a part of the show all about human factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of, you guessed it, human factors. This could be anything, uh, robotics, AI, transportation, you name it. As long as it relates to the field of human factors, it is fair game for Blake and I to sit here and BS about. Blake, what do we have up this week?
2: This week, we're like diving deep into BCIs or brain computer interfaces, something we haven't talked about in a, a while, I feel like. But So in an important step forward to fully implanting intracortical brain-computer interface systems, BrainGate researchers have demonstrated the first human use of a wireless transmitter capable of delivering high-bandwidth neural signals. So BCIs are an emergency emerging assistive technology, enabling people with paralysis to type on computer screens or manipulate robotic prosthesis just by thinking about them and moving their own bodies. And for years, investigational BCIs have used been used in clinical trials to require cables and lots of management of cables to be able to reach and sense what your brain is thinking and transmit that to a computer to help you decode it, uh, even into an external hard drive. But now for the first time, BrainGate's clinical trial participants with tetraplegia have demonstrated the use of intracortical wireless BCI uh, with an external wireless transmitter. So the system is capable of transmitting brain signals at single neuronal resolution and with full broadband fidelity without physically tethering the user to a decoding system. And for the study published, uh, the two clinical trial participants with paralysis used the BrainGate system with a wireless transmitter to point and click and type on a standard tablet computer. Studies showed that the wireless transmission system used the signals with virtually the same fidelity as wired systems, which is huge, and participants achieved a similar point-and-click accuracy when challenged in their typing speeds. So Nick, this feels really ironic to me because I was just interacting with somebody else who was asking about the podcast and uh, something that we had done on episode 200 had sparked their interest in motor impediments and how BCIs were connected. And now we have a study that's like, Kind of taking things away from the research lab in terms of only really focusing on like tethered units and now improving the technology in a research setting so this is pretty awesome to see um, this far into the future
1: yeah so there's a lot to unpack here i i honestly don't know where to start here so let's just <laughs> let's just start at the top um this is a wireless brain computer interface that a human has tried for the first time that is the title of this episode you can see it it it, that's what's going on here and. I am struggling to find. um, Where to start with the human factors application as soon as I saw this episode I immediately or sorry as this this news story I immediately knew it was content rich for us to sit here and talk about so let's I guess um, I can just start talking about some of user needs um as it relates to brain computer interfaces right so if, if you think about sort of these user centered design considerations for brain computer interfaces you need to have um there's a, there's a lot of things to think about right starting with the person's well-being um as they are using a brain computer interface right they have they need to be able to ex uh, it needs to be accessible they need to be able to um not trip over themselves with all these wires that a traditional bci has um you know they need to think about the space organization ergonomic assessment of all this stuff uh and there's also things that you have to consider like safety there's um you know being able to use this in a daily life There's. reliability maintainability functionality of this thing um basically there's a lot going on with this uh and and i'm really struggling at where to start with breaking this all down um i'm just kind of rambling right now well i don't know blake where do you want to start
2: so i think one of the coolest places and one that i was concerned for Concerned about from like the the end user perspective because like you talked about a big one about this is ergonomic concerns so somebody having to be basically tethered almost in place in some cases that we see as we've seen in the past uh, with the amount of like cords and different things you would have to be hooked up to but the I was worried with the title that it's it's promoting a high bandwidth right so what does that really mean does that mean you can you can do stuff that in a similar fidelity as you were able to when things were hardwired in and that was really my major concern because it looks like yes, they've eliminated some of the the hardwiring aspects of it that would be you know probably a little bit um, cumbersome for you to move around if you will if you if if you're dealing with a prosthesis on top of this or anything like that. So really they've they have dealt with kind of the the functional controlling your space aspect of it. But what did that really mean when it came to actually performing these functions? So being able to in this case type on something and you know accurately point and click and use stuff. And so from the end user side, I was worried about what this fidelity was gonna be like. Was this kind of like kind of like when you deal with UAS, when we deal with that transition of information between the flying unit and the pilot, you have to worry about that latency between where you're bouncing your, your uh, signals off from. So I imagined even though we're dealing with a much closer space, what does that look like for an end user in this case? And for us and for this study, It seems like they were able to actually keep that fidelity pretty high, like probably better than even my my Internet bandwidth kind of stays up throughout the podcast, Um, which really blew my mind, because that means there's a lot of engineering that's obviously gone in the background of this. But obviously, it's going to provide a much better experience for somebody who's now, although they have some kind of unit that is working with their brain and on top of their head, they probably don't have that kind of like head tilt is caused by a lot of cabling behind you or anything like that. So I just think it's awesome that it's able to provide the same level of kind of efficiency in terms of you being able to do similar things that you were able to, when you were hardwired in, if you will. And now you're kind of giving a little bit more freedom and potentially the application being that more people can have this stuff. Cause if you're not, you know, hardwired to a specific unit in your house, or you're not hardwired up to something that has to be maintained. If you have a, a wireless unit it can just be used at any time so it's it's really cool to see how far this has come now in terms of where this goes from here because I mean again we're we're dealing with a pretty localized study and this is only going to the technology side of it will only grow a little bit more Um, but I think one thing that I always wonder about is what's the what's the application from here because this is obviously focused very very locally on clinical trials. Um, but I feel like this has wide-reaching implications, right, outside of just even the clinical setting, like getting BCIs to be a more traditional form of communication or whatever it may be.
1: Yeah, if we think about application, right, there's there's a lot of different things that we can do with BCIs. Um, it can almost be an augmented way to interact with the environment, right? I think that's what Neuralink is trying to do is they're trying to tap into the brain to read it passively and kind of understand intent, right? It's not it's not the read write function; it's the read function. And so, if you could interact with your computer by clicking with your mind rather than with your mouse, um, you would have less issues because then you can just send it directly to where it needs to go and not have to track with your hand and your mouse. Um, and if the if the system understands those inputs, right, then there's going to be less user error in the ro- in the long term. Um, now that's a very simplistic application of this type of thing and is something that could be accomplished in the near term. Um, I can see a lot more application when you start looking further out in the future when we have things like BCIs and assisted living, where maybe um somebody's sitting in their hospital bed and they need to communicate something. Uh, maybe they can't verbalize or maybe they fall in and they can't get up, um, and they need to notify. Assisted living staff that, hey, I need help, or um, they need to communicate some complex thing to a caregiver. Um, I I can see that as one application. I can also see another application where this could augment, um, you know, pilots or something to that degree where um, there's like this passive monitoring going on with attention. And if a pilot lapses in attention, maybe um, something, you know ga- gets their attention in the cockpit to where uh, they they are able to see it and and kind of maintain vigilance as they're doing some of these tasks you know I, again that's very long term in in the way far future um, but I can see those are some of the application areas what do you think Blake What what, what applications can you see for this.
2: I, so I feel like based on what we talked about last week, that we, we talked a little bit about augmented reality and how do you make it real and how do you start to immerse people inside of it? Well, even if we think about like the VR aspect of things, like what if you were able to like provide through a BCI a much more immersive experience by, you know, basically being able to pass neuronal signals to different parts of your body to help you feel like something was more real. Now that's, that's a far reaching kind of application here, but I feel like that's, that's like the uh, whatever, however best is to put it, like the Elon Musk fear of what a BCI will be and what AI can eventually be. It's kind of more of providing you different inputs uh, depending on the environment or the thing that you're doing. And so I, I could see that in the, you know, decades long time, of being a true application. now I, th- I think the big one that I'm excited about is this integration between, okay, great now we're taking Bcis that are wireless and we're able to uh, you know basically pull in signals from people's brains, transmit them into something that's completely you know useful for them, gives them much more mobility. but now let's let's add that to on top of you know exoskeletons he says. And that's kind of the connection that I'm really excited about to see, because I've seen a lot of like not a lot of it is promo right now, but I've seen a lot of um, I can't remember the company's name, but it's very it's very futuristic looking prosthetics that have a lot of functionality in the, in them but i know that they're based off of you know very rudimentary programming now if we can implement something like that in combination with a bci imagine giving people not only like their ability to communicate but maybe they have much more mobility than they've ever had or have had in years especially when since a lot of the target here is an older population um so and and i think some of the research that's done here is actually done with some of the VA hospitals um, in wherever Brown is. So it's that's my kind of like exciting point is because there's a, there's a lot of work being done on the neuro side with prosthetics. And now we're really diving deep into the application of a BCI.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. I, I love that your mind immediately went to the read write function because I'm still stuck in read, right? I, my applications were both read and you went straight to read Write. you were like well how can we write to the brain to make something feel more real or to um, you know provide that feedback like if you were in a if you were in an assistive um, prosthetic or if you had an assisted prosthetic or uh, an exoskeleton and you needed feedback from those devices you could wire that straight up to the brain. Um, I love that application so let's talk I want to talk again about the human factors bits of this right and and what this wireless solution really solves and and why it's such a big deal Um, so I think of two things when I think of uh, the user right I think immediately of like user comfort with a device because that's very important and then not only the physical comfort of having something hooked into your brain but also the mental comfort of having it there as well, right? So you're thinking about, um, you know, how easy is it for this device to read your intent? Um, What is the the user's kind of mindset here? Um, And and sort of what can they, what do the users focus on as they're using this device? Are they focused on the actual interaction itself or are they focused on this thing that is kind of behind them, right? I guess, the question is, does this solve that problem? I don't know, but I think it goes a long way where you don't have the the less invasive something feels where, you know, now you don't have all these wires and tubes hooked up to somebody now it's, it's completely wireless. There's going to be less resistance to feeling uncomfortable. You're, you're going to feel less uncomfortable. I you get my point here it's going to be easier for the for the user to ultimately um mesh with that uh device um and that goes for both user comfort and user mental comfort right so i'm i'm thinking about it from that perspective but then also you know how how does this sort of um h- Then the other human factors application is like, well, how, how does this interface with their everyday life? Right? And we've talked about some applications. I think we've kind of covered that. But the more interesting thing to me is how usable is this right now? And we've talked about, well, down the line, these things might be possible, but, um, is this type of interface, uh, usable, right? And what kind of heuristics or design considerations do you have to take into account for a BCI? and I don't know if wireless necessarily has anything to do with that inherently however there is the latency issue right if if things are uh, or do take a long time to communicate the operators intent to the system then it's going to provide a non usable system or something that is less than usable uh, if if you will right. Um, So those are the types of application or not applications those are the type of human factors um slices that i'm thinking about this in terms of uh, are there any other human factors applications that you can think of here blake
2: no i do think there's some implication here though for where the where bcis are at today in the story that we're talking about and kind of some of the ideas that we've thrown out there for the future uh the biggest part being with this wireless system i think you hit the nail on the head the biggest overcoming point there is basically user comfort like cuz in the studies we're talking about we're talking about Typing, pointing and clicking like very, it, very far from these farther reaching things that we we've gone on about, whether it's like aiding pilots or, you know, allowing you to feel different things in a virtual environment. So this is kind of the, the starting block, if you will. But I, I think what is nice about the study we're looking at and the technology we're looking at on top of it is it has taken away a lot of that potential discomfort and potentially user distraction of I've got a I've got like a matrix set up coming out of the back of my head or it's it just feels weird and so I can't even focus on the task that I'm being kind of tested to do although of course this system I think is very at the beginning stages um it it probably still would take a lot of getting used to because if for those that are not watching or haven't read the article like it basically puts two a transistor and a receiver on your head now they're not not as insane sounding as that is, but they're they're pretty big chunks of, you know, plastic that are kind of screwed onto a transistor. Um but the bit the big thing here is this to remember is this is definitely the beginning stages of research because even in the article they talk about Although they're diving into this wireless application and a lot of the rationale there is so that people can do this, take it home. They can do longitudinal studies because we still don't really understand neural signals and how they evolve over time. Um, so really, we have to continue almost taking this first step, getting the technology to a place where you can take it home. You can have it at home we and people in labs or in different companies can analyze what the signals are actually doing to help you kind of create something more utilitarian or do something like almost be life alert but through your brain, like you had mentioned, Nick. Um, but the biggest thing is now we have to really just allow for the time to happen uh, so that people can start analyzing like, okay, what what can we take these neuronal signal signals and do outside of the things we're able to do now? Um, and what does that really look like?
1: Yeah, one last application that I can think of or human factors application here is is kind of the safety aspect of this, right? Um and and we've kind of mentioned, you know, obviously this the story is is uh being disconnected from tubes and wires to your to your face. Um and so like when you when you think about safety, there's there's a couple things going on here, right? There's obviously safety issues going on with Uh, the BCI itself right. Is it going to hurt the operator um, because it is wired into a very sensitive part of the body. Um, So there's that to deal with but but the more obvious thing I think to me is the sort of like OSHA side of things right (laughs) is this going to be without wires you are less likely to accidentally hurt yourself by running to the end of the tether. Um, you are also, I mean, that won't even happen, right? Your, your input just won't get read by the distance if it's too great. Um, and then there's also, you know, the, the, you won't trip over it, any of that stuff. Um, and it will help with, uh, some of the physical side of things. I don't know how much wireless will, will, uh, sort of impact some of the other safety considerations like errors and unintentional mistakes uh poor judgment decision making that type of thing disregard for procedures you know that type of stuff i don't know how much it'll impact that type of thing but at least the physical safety i can definitely see a huge uh benefit to being wireless right
2: absolutely yeah the part of this study that's kind of it's so the study itself is remarkable, right? Because we're talking again about BCIs being wireless, allowing you to basically translate neuronal signals to doing actions. Uh, but because of COVID nineteen, the continued studies on these kind of things were going to be zero. But because people were able actually actually able to do this wireless technology and use it, um, basically the way that it happened is they trained caregivers over you know internet calls to be able to help their the person who had the bci actually transmit data from home so a lot of this stuff was done inside of the home so the the safety aspect that i was considering is like okay what does this look like outside of the lab or what does it look like when you're at home by yourself or you know a caregiver is around because there's that extra training aspect now of potentially you have you know nurses who visit homes or anybody that works in a nursing home, potentially a BCI has become a bigger thing in the next however long that kind of adds a different skill set. Now you're interfacing with a different type of technology that has potentially a pretty intense impact if things go wrong or things are not working correctly. Uh, So the safety aspect, Nick is a hundred percent a big one that I think a lot, it'll have far reaching implications, not just for, you know the person who's using it but the companies who develop them and then how to how do you basically train others to be able to know how to use them if it's not you yourself that has the BCI
1: yeah I, I love this story I think it was a great uh, pick do you, do you have anything else to add to this before we uh, head out
2: No, this is just awesome Brown so some cool work with basically neuroscience plus everything else we have to deal with in terms of security safety end user experience it's just a really cool story
1: Yeah. Thank you to our patrons this week for selecting the topic. And thank you. Thank you to our friends over at Brown University for our news stories this week. Uh, If you want to follow along, we do post links to the original articles in our chat community slack and discord um, as we find them. And and it's in this like little nice, uh, concise um, news roundup that I've been doing during my office hours. So you can check that out.
0: We're going to take a quick break and then we'll see what's going on with the human
1: factors community right after
0: this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us.
1: All right. And we're back. A huge thank you as always to our patrons and especially our honorary human factors cast staff Michelle Tripp, patrons like you keep the show running. And thank you all so much for your continued support uh, Blake. I do want to mention something um, if if you want to support us, but not through Patreon, there's a, something else you can do. We do have a merchandise store and I <laughs> and I want to bring up a couple designs, man. Um, so we have an it pin shirt. You saw it uh, and now it's bigger and better. Um, It kind of takes up the full space now. I think I was the only one that bought the smaller font so no one missed out on that. Uh, I'm really proud of this next one man. So we have a a joke I guess internally about this one star review that we got where this person said like so like you like and like so as the title of the review Um, and they referred to us as sophomoric bros. And uh us representing human factors in a profession is truly terrifying. So we have actually turned that review into a shirt um and we're gonna own it. We, we love that review. It's our best review out there.
2: <laughs> so it's funny to think about like especially since that came up after episode 200, it's like we're still doing this 200 episodes later and we stay <laughs> even after that really <laughs> rough one- star review. <laughs> yeah uh, i'll I never mean, forget th- i'll never forget the day you sent that to me in a text as well i thought i thought i was gonna die laughing because was, it was yeah. just so tough to read <laughs> it
1: was it was a uh, it, it was back in 2019 so uh you know <laughs> but it's something that we have always kind of joked about internally we also have um a couple other designs up there so please go check out the store if you want to support the show without actually you know it, it, there's more than just the stuff that we talked about here. So go check it out. We're always throwing new designs up there. Um, so <laughs> why don't we go ahead and switch gears and get into this next part of the show. We like to call
0: it came from
1: it came from it came from Reddit. Yes, this is the part of this. Sh- well, actually hold on, not just Reddit this week. Uh, we got stuff from all over. Uh, this is the part of the show where we search all over the Internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. So um, we actually do have a, one of our patrons has submitted a question for us. Uh, this is from Michelle Tripp, our honorary Human Factors Cast staff. She writes, Hi, all. I have a question for you. I've been interested in evaluating the user experience of places like malls, airports, train stations, bus stations, et cetera. I've been researching different human factors, engineering tools and principles that I can use to create a heuristic evaluation report for each place I visit. Most of the principles I've seen researching are about digital and physical products. But are there any principles that are specifically for spaces and places? So we're talking about like heuristics for spaces and places, Uh, Blake, do you know of any heuristics for spaces and places?
2: So funny enough, Nick brought this up earlier on, and I do not. I am not big on physical design, although that may change here in the future, <laughs> But one thing that I did find is a Kai paper that actually goes over developing and taking HCI principles. So stuff that you would typically see in those digital spaces and applying it to a physical space and doing and creating social interaction. And in some of those places that you're mentioning, this framework might be helpful to go over and just read their thoughts on translating some of the, you know, best practices from what you may know is usability heuristics or stuff that you would know is. HCI guidelines and translate them into physical products. Um, but I don't know like great standards or specifics for this kind of stuff. And I'm quite interested in what Nick has to follow up with this stuff for. But Nick, so what do you really have that is good for trying to tackle some of these problems or understand a physical space?
1: Okay, I have two answers. uh One is not really an answer to the heuristics question one is an answer to that question so what I have is there's um, I, I would imagine a good starting point for spaces and places is to take a look at standards. Uh, these are not heuristics in the sense that there are very specific standards that a lot of places have to adhere to especially when it comes to something like OSHA right I mean if you if you look at the OSHA regulations uh, for spaces there are they cover everything from like walking and working surfaces to exit routes. Um, powered platforms, man lifts, occupational health and environmental control, hazardous materials, personal protective equipment, fire protection, materials handling and storage. There's a lot of stuff that goes into these standards. How do you condense that down into heuristics? I don't know. I'm sure somebody has done it, but the the second answer I have is sort of the um, principles of universal design, and these are almost like system or space or place agnostic. Um, If you think about what makes something usable, you have equitable use, flexibility in use, simple and intuitive use, perceptible information, tolerance for error, low physical effort, size and space for approach and use. So those are the seven principles of universal design. Um, And if you think about those heuristics as it relates to spaces and places, that might be a good place to start. Um, I know it's not quite the answer you were looking for, but I think, um, you know, there, there's a lot there that you can dig into. Um, there's a resource that I have from, uh, I think it's UX uh, matters. So I'll post that in the show description below. I'll also post that, uh, OSHA standard I mentioned as well for anyone who's interested in these types of things. Um, but, you know, I mean, thinking about that universal heuristic or that universal design heuristics, right? You can think about equitable use in the sense of user control and freedom, aesthetic, minimalistic design and how those apply to the physical environment as well. Right. There's a lot of those. There's a lot of the usability heuristics that actually might matter from the perspective of spaces and places. Now, I will say there's there's a lot of good information here. Maybe not all of them map to the to the physical space but there is a good chance that most of them will all right is there anything else you want to add to that Blake I
2: don't Nick I'm really stoked to check out these universal principles though because that's not something I'm super familiar with or have heard of and I hope that uh, that this is actually useful to our patreon to ask the questions and I would love to know how they plan to apply it um, or what they uncover as they go through the journey of understanding physical space design.
1: Yeah. We'll have to follow up for sure. Um, all right. We have two more. Why don't we do this next one here? So this one is um, how to remain connected with a mentor. Uh, Blake, you're you're a mentor yourself. I would love to hear your perspective on this. This is from the real Izzy on the user experience subreddit. Uh, I have I contacted a mentor several months ago to have a quick meeting and ask about their advice. I really liked their expertise and personality. It is awkward to ask them, can you be my mentor? So I just asked after the call if I can contact them for future advice. And they agreed. I messaged them a few times about my portfolio, but that's it. I'm at an early stage in my career and at a new country by myself and need some mentorship and advice. I don't know how to stay connected and develop a mentorship connection. Would it be better to ask them to have a monthly call? Blake, how would you handle this uh, situation, both from the person who wants the mentor and from the mentor perspective.
2: Yeah, so I, this came into my inbox the other day and I, I thought a lot about it. So I, I don't know. Hopefully this is helpful. The biggest thing that I'm seeing here is it just might be that you weren't clear enough up front with this particular mentor, if you will, that that's what you're looking for. It sounds like although it's a it's an awkward conversation to have, I think it's better to have it than not to set expectations of what you're looking for from a specific relationship here. Uh, Cause it sounds like you talked to them one time that you had mentioned that you would follow up with them about like portfolio feedback or if that was okay. And most people will often say yes. And they genuinely meet it. But like most people right now who are in a senior or a mid to senior level in UX, they do have a lot that may be going on, whether it's work, extra mentorship they're doing with other people, both inside a company and on their own free time. So people unfortunately just get busy and it's hard to stay on top of all of your obligations as well as like keep in contact with everyone. So for, from this person's perspective, I would say the best thing you can do is look for and be kind of upfront with somebody about, this is really what you're looking for. I'm looking for mentorship throughout my career I don't really want this to be like a once once every once and again thing. I would rather do like either something monthly or something every couple of weeks uh, to either talk about my portfolio, stuff going on at work, advice, that kind of stuff. So that way you're setting the stage also. And I'm not going to plug any of the stuff that I do because I don't I don't feel like that's right here. But there are a lot of services, both paid and free, that offer you an ability to find mentorship and user experience design, especially. Um I wish I could remember this guy's name. The last kind of thing from the mentor mentee perspective, there is a really cool uh, user experience designer and very like guy that's worked at, I think it's Instagram and Microsoft and he now works as a senior designer of Facebook. There is a lot of stuff that he puts out on his LinkedIn for free that I will find and put in our show notes. But basically checking out LinkedIn, looking for mentors that way is another great thing because, again, user experience and human factors, there's a lot of people out there that want to help those earlier in their career figure out their way forward and what they should be doing to kind of build their career or what trajectory they want to take. So I think that handles it from the mentee side. Nick, do you have anything that you wanted to touch on there?
1: Yeah, so... I'm thinking about this from the perspective of the person writing this post. Let's start there. Right. So the the, um, the question is, how do I get back in this person's uh, on this person's radar? Right. I think the strategy here is to reach out and say something along the lines of, hey, I really appreciated the feedback that you gave me. Um, I would really like it if you know we could meet a little bit more regularly. Uh, and honestly just explain what you just posted here in in this subreddit right like i'm in a new country i'm i'm by myself i need some mentorship and advice um and i really liked what you know we talked about last time is there any way that you can spare a little time for me each month to chat through some of the stuff i'm working on um and i think that would be the approach right i think honesty is key there uh because people are humans and they can see when another human needs help Um, Unless you're heartless, then in that case, it's not going to be a good time. And it's almost a benefit for you if they say no to that, because then, you know, it's not meant to be the only thing you have to lose is uh, I wouldn't even say it's a burnt bridge between this person, but you have more information on this person if they say no, Um, if they say yes, you have everything to gain. So, yes, I would just reach back out to them and say, absolutely. Now, when it comes to that mentor's perspective, if I was. Um, going along and I had somebody reach out to me once uh and you know they they weren't quite clear about their intentions that's like no big deal for for somebody like me you know it's like oh they they actually did want more mentorship that's fine but you know again Blake and I are a little different in that regard we we really like that aspect of it and so um you know from my perspective if somebody were to come up to me and say hey you know what like I really appreciated the conversation we had would you mind chatting with me some other time, I'd absolutely make the time to do that. Um, I think uh, from a mentor perspective, it's kind of dumb to not do that because <laughs> you are making a connection that could someday uh, be valuable to you. And you know, if you think about it from that perspective, um, and if, if you're a robot and don't think about humans having needs, then that's another perspective that you can think about and have it be meaningful to you in some capacity. But you should think about them as a human and that they are uh, in need and that you at some point were early in your career and got advice from somebody else. So that's where I'm coming from. Anything else? Blake?
2: No, I think that covers it.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, we have one more here. Um, this one's going to be fun. Is my manager that horrible? This is from Suzy XO on the user experience i read it again i recently started a new job as a ux or ui designer um and it, i'm not sure if i'm overreacting because i'm not interested in the industry or if my manager is really horrible i'm the only designer on the team and my manager assigns me tasks i'm an organized person so i need to know what i'll be working on for the week in advance i've been getting tasks during the day and my manager has zero design experience will call me want me to share the screen and will complain about the colors and icons. She recently wanted me to make changes on the project while we're on the call and she sees me making the changes. There is no user testing in the process. She also calls me for a 30 minute meeting, but ends up being more than an hour. And every time I show the design, she will ask for new changes. Last week, she told me to work on the final changes for Friday and send the screens in an email. However, she suddenly assigned me a task of changing another screen as well, so obviously this will take more time. I then contacted her and said that I will be able to submit everything on Monday rather than Friday, and her response was a passive aggressive, uh, is this normal, or am I r- right in the in my reaction? Um, there's a lot to unpack there, uh, I think if you think about this from the design perspective, there's there's that perspective, but I'm I'm thinking about this from the human factors perspective as well. Uh, You know, what, what do you do in a case where there is a a um, person above you that does not take the things that you are doing at face value and they feel like they need to have control over it? Blake, I'm going to pass this over to you.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, regardless of who you are or even what job you work, I think there's a couple of things you can take away from a situation like this. And the biggest one being. I don't think this is absolutely a normal set of things you should be experiencing no matter what, if you're human factors, if you're a developer, if you're a designer, although it does seem to happen a lot when you end up in these sole positions where like you have a manager and you're the only human factors person, you user experience designer, whatever it is, where you you end up with kind of an inefficiency in how the process is run. And I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing here is I would be careful in this person's shoes because if they're, like we talked about kind of last week, if they're feeling this, I'm not even interested in the industry anymore, that's not a good sign. And I don't really think that's necessarily your fault. I think there's a lot of tough stuff going on here from your management perspective. Uh, The biggest thing I would say that you could do is you probably need to set some boundaries with this person. And that would be having the tough conversations about... These are the things that I am experiencing at work up to the the fact that you're not getting clear tasking. Tasking comes kind of at the last minute, and then there's no clear design process that you feel like is being executed. Now, from the design side, Nick, you can talk from the HF side in a moment. But the big thing here that I would keep in mind if you're the sole designer It becomes your job to put that design process in place and to be an advocate for it. You can't just expect that a company is going to know what to do with a designer and that they're just going to have some process in place, especially if you're the only person doing the job. So the more that you can try and define and set up a process and really get invested in the work that you're doing. I think the better off you're going to be and the more control you're going to have over your tasking and things that need to get done, leaving less time for your PM to be assigning you things or giving you random tasks because you already know all those steps need to be executed. Now, the portion that does bother me here is the amount of feedback that you're getting that doesn't sound like, at least from this post, that there is a lot of rationale for why. There's a lot of opinions potentially being thrown at you for things that you need to change, And I would say here, again, this is in some ways normal, but you have to be able to kind of fight for your designs, if you will, or fight for your work. Give rationale for why you put something together the way that you did. Why did you design it in such a way? Colors that you used, whatever it might be that you're kind of going back and forth with the person over. Um, So that's, it does sound like this person is a little bit of a tough uh, PM and could use a little bit of your help to understand the situation as it is for you. So that you can both work together to come to a good solution at the end of it doesn't mean that that'll happen, but you kind of have to do your due diligence on your side to try and create a better environment for yourself. But Nick, what would you do in this situation?
1: Okay, Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to answer the question at the top. Is my manager that horrible? Yes. Uh, Key attributes of a good manager. One, constructive feedback. Two, um... Appreciates and understands their employee's skill set and and pairs them up appropriately. This is an inappropriate uh relationship with their um employee because it does not exude trust. It is a micromanagement uh aspect that really shows a lack of understanding of what this person is is aiming to do in their role. Um, Blake, I think you said a lot there uh, for setting up these clear um, boundaries when it comes to this person's role in this company. I think um, this is a delicate situation to uh, to navigate here, especially when you're trying to um, explain to the person who is not being that great that you need them to back off a little bit. Um, I think there might be something larger here with um them not having any design experience or or really any experience regardless of the profession right if if a, if some sort of manager is coming after your work uh i think you know you owe it to them to explain your process and how you got to that point uh and kind of prove them wrong why why are the things that they're doing um complaining about colors, complaining about icons. The, I mean, why are they doing that? There, there, there's two reasons they could. One, they don't understand the reason why you incorporated certain things. Two, they might, you may not have done your due diligence and they might actually have a point. I'm not saying it's the second one. I'm saying that's a possibility. Um, so introspect a little bit and see it there. I'm, I'm highly suspect, uh, suspecting that it's the first one there where they uh, just want to feel like they're part of the design process and so another thing you can do is include them in that process. Um Set up a meeting with them and say hey look I'm thinking about this or this and give them the choice to to uh, to make that final call. Um And that way that will give them a little bit more ownership over the uh, the thing the product when you know ultimately the design comes down the final design uh, and I think that's true for a lot of things is if you can incorporate people into your process I think it goes a long way for making others feel that ownership and that's in human factors too right if you can explain hey there's a user interview going on I would love for you to watch what this is like on a on a camera don't be in the room with me I'd love for you to watch what this is like. Um, then people will feel more invested in the thing that you do and understand the value that you bring to the team. That's where I'm at with this. Blake, anything else to add?
2: Yeah. The only other thing that I would really suggest is trying to see if you can take a little bit of control of the meeting structure. Cause if there's no structure that exists, try putting one in, put a 15 minute stand up in on Mondays, like add in, you know, design kind of sprints, if you will, for when they know they're going to meet with you. Cause again, like Nick's mentioned, this seems like somebody who seems, seems nervous about the product and is overbearing. So if you kind of try and implement a structure in there, it may also help you a little bit, but who knows, maybe, maybe this person's just not meant to be a PM.
1: Yeah, I agree. All right. We got one more thing. Uh, So this is, <laughs> this is the f- part of the show formerly known as banter. Um, So, like what do you have for one more thing?
2: Man, one more thing. I really don't have a whole lot one more thing wise. The one thing that I've been really focusing on in the past couple of weeks that's been more interesting to me from the just learning skill wise has has been trying to incorporate a lot more, you know, meditation into my daily life because I feel like with this new cycle although I've enjoyed working uh, remotely because it provides me a lot of freedom it also provides me the freedom to get up right out of bed and get on my laptop and so building in these kind of like times of either meditation or staying away from technology for specific hours of the day has been super beneficial just to my mental mental health and how i'm approaching any kind of situation whether it's at work if it's playing guitar if it's interacting with my dog, girlfriend. So it's been a, a fun practice to kind of get back into as well as kind of like limiting when I can touch my phone in the morning, like an hour and a half after I get up or can't touch it an hour and a half before I go back to bed. Uh, but yeah, so that's something I've been experimenting, sticking back into my life. And it's been a, been a fun time for sure. Feeling a lot more energized. How about you, man? What's been going on?
1: Good. I'm glad you're finding time for yourself. Um, So I have also been trying to find time for myself in a in a different way. Um, My child is at the age where he loves uh, listening to the same us read the same book over and over and over again to the point where he will get frustrated with us if we do not read it. Um, Now, here's a little parenting hack for anyone. I, I thought about this because I was like, man, if only I could just record. Oh wait. I can record it. So I recorded these and maybe we'll put this in the post show, <laughs> but I recorded a book for I several books for my son. So whatever he comes up to me and says, Hey, read this book. I can actually just pull out my phone and play it. Uh, it's kind of hysterical. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't do it all the time, but when man, when he just wants to read the same book over and over and over again, I'll usually read it the first time and then just kind of hit play. But you know, I went all out. I did all the voices, the Elmo, the Grover, the uh, cookie monster. I did all of them. Um, so like, it's good stuff. If you're listening, you check out the post show.
2: <laughs> Excellent. Now that's, that's a funny one, man. So does he get the same kind of gratification from hearing this story recorded versus you doing it live?
1: I mean, he, He's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's advanced enough to understand that um, there's a certain pace to books, and he will try to keep pace with the recording, which is really interesting to watch because it doesn't always line up, but he knows roughly, based on where you're at in the story, where it should be, and so it's it's uh, it satisfies the need. Um, if he hears me reading the thing on the recording with all the voices and everything, uh, he understands that it's me reading, not live but he can follow along with it and uh, understand where we're at in in the book. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my one more thing.
2: <laughs> that's pretty cool, man, nice one.
1: All right, well, that's gonna be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news story this week. You can hang out with us on our Slack or Discord or get to us on any of our social channels. You can visit our official website, humanfactorscast.media. And sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple things you can do. One, it's completely free for you. You can leave us a five-star review on your podcast medium of choice. If your podcast medium of choice doesn't do it, just leave it on our website. Uh, Two, you can tell your friends about us. That really helps the show grow. Um, You know, having other people tell people that this show is good does something. I don't know. Three, if you're financially able, consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, you know that's all I'm going to say about that. And as always, links to all of our socials and our website is in the description of this episode. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnstorff for hanging out on our show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about brain-computer interfaces?
2: Y'all, you can come and hang out with me every Sunday at 9:30 PST at Twitch.tv/HumanFactorsCast. That's a good place to ask me any questions that you had from the show about UX, about human factors, whatever it may be. But if you want to get in touch with me and just shoot me an email or leave me a comment or a DM DM, you can find me at Don't Panic UX.
1: As for me, having your host Nick Rome, you can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. It
2: depends.